return to the Anku before that Alvarius B. Cupid's Crossbone before that Senior Coconut Orchestra. Hello, good evening, and welcome to Gray Matters. The weekly current events media analysis talk show. Uh, this is Jim Dwyer rejoining after a week's absence, and in the studio is also senior host Dick Whaley. Yeah, I got tied up at the bank. That line was a little too long. Yeah. Unpredictable. Indeed. I noticed that you have uh, Nixon at the movies there. Yeah, actually, I finally I was given a copy of that for Christmas, uh, much to the bemusement of uh, my mother, who I re- made the request of, and uh, about halfway through it, enjoying it uh, mostly. The prose is a little clunky sometimes, but the analysis, uh, both of popular culture and Richard Nixon's uh, psychological permutations throughout the extent of his... Uh, really strange political career are uh, endlessly fascinating. I yeah, recommend the book. Yeah, I, I read that and uh, enjoyed it immensely. I think that the uh, appendix with the details of when Nixon watched certain movies and what he watched and where he watched it with who and all that is somewhat fascinating because uh, I think Nixon... As they always say, was probably the most interesting American political figure of the second half of the 20th century. Ironically, I just finished the uh, pseudo memoirs of Mark Felt, uh, oh. the book entitled "A G Man's Life," subtitled "The FBI Being Deep Throat in the Struggle for Honor in Washington." It's an interesting book in the sense that uh, this, of course, is the uh, gentleman that was. Uh, it was revealed about a year ago that he was, uh, in fact, deep throat. He was the number two man at the FBI. The book is interesting in that it por- uh, portrays J. Edgar Hoover in a very favorable light, huh. but L. Patrick Gray in a very unfavorable light. And as a result, of course, this was uh, these these political the political paranoia of Nixon and the uh, just determined the the determination that he had to to, quote, win at all costs, mm-hmm. uh, was uh, ultimately his downfall. Yeah, whether that meant the war in Southeast Asia or domestic politics. And, of course, unless E. Howard Hunt and or G. Gordon Liddy reveal exactly what the burglars of the Watergate suite were really after, we'll never know. But, of course, this was just the culmination of a series of... Uh, Oh, political surveillance, dirty tricks, break break-in jobs, uh, disinformation campaigns uh, was uh, oddly enough at the heart of Nixon's trouble, and I think that unfortunately we've seen a lot of this disinformation uh, perpetrated by the current occupant of the White House. I don't think Bush has ever resorted to uh, Nixon-style tactics, but certainly. The Swift Boat ads campaign from a year ago. Yeah, I think one of the lessons of uh, Nixon's downfall is, in fact, that you have others orchestrate these things. And, of course, Nixon did have uh, the Dirty Tricks uh, crew uh, who who did things on their own and checked it with him later. But he was 
such a paranoid individual and such a uh, micromanager that uh, he really did have his finger in just about every uh, cauldron that was bubbling. And, of course, one of the other interesting assertions in this book uh, by Mark Felt, this is essentially co-written by a editor named John O'Connor who uh, revealed in the Vanity Fair article that, uh, in fact, Mark Felt was deep throughout. Uh, he resigned from the FBI uh, in uh, June of 73, and, of course, Nixon's troubles just continued at that point. The cat was out of the bag once uh, James McCord um, essentially refused to take the fall for Nixon. And at the hearing uh, involving John Sirica, he was one of the original burglars. A uh, expert, by the way, in bugging and uh, breaking uh, tactics. Uh, he had been a former CIA man. And if you've ever seen the movie The Conversation mm-hmm. by uh, Francis Ford Coppola, a movie that he uh, d- released uh, in between the two Godfather epics, a movie that he worked on as a screenplay in the 60s before he became a famous director. There's a character in there named Harry Call, played by Gene Hackman, um, who I think is just an absolute perfect uh, representation of James McCord in an inadvertent way. But in any case, what was interesting was the Nixon White House was... uh, essentially obstructing the FBI's uh, investigation into the broader crime of Watergate. And one of the key meetings that Felt had with Woodward in the so-called garage was in September of 72 when he revealed that uh, the Donald Segretti dirty tricks operations of the 72 campaign were connected to the Watergate break-in in terms of the slush fund and the money The Justice Department, controlled by Nixon and L. Patrick Gray, who uh, interestingly destroyed evidence in the Watergate case and ultimately never was confirmed as the permanent director of the FBI, was this dichotomy between what the FBI was doing. Uh, Felt's main thrust in this book is that the FBI was uh, full of integrity, that the Watergate investigation was uh, removed from political bias and that the Justice Department was uh, telling the FBI not to go into the dirty tricks uh, aspects of the uh, investigation and just stick to the burglary. Um, And, of course, uh, G. Gordon Liddy is still a prominent right-wing media talk show host um, and continues to um, represent the far right's position politically uh, here today and continues unfortunately, to really downplay the uh, serious constitutional issues uh, raised by the presidency of Richard Nixon. Alas, these uh, constitutional problems are still with us, and it's interesting that Peter Hoekstra, a Michigan uh, Republican, Republican, uh, has revealed now apparently in a letter uh, that the New York Times has obtained Uh, that he wrote to the president questioning um, some of the um, poor briefing that is occurring. As he puts it in the letter, I've learned of some alleged intelligence community activities about our committee, uh, which has not been briefed upon. He said the U.S. Congress should simply not have to play 20 questions to get information that it deserves under our Constitution. 
if these allegations are true, they may represent, Hoekster writes, a breach of a responsibility by the administration, a violation of the law, and, just as importantly, a direct affront to me and the members of the committee. Uh, and what's interesting about this is this apparently, uh, I, in a way, Hoekstra, I think, is trying to cover his uh, behind a little bit because he was implicated a couple of weeks ago in the famous Rick Santorum uh, press conference in which he appeared. Right. Claiming that they had finally found the uh, so-called weapons of mass destruction. Alas, these weapons, of course, turned out to be chemical we- weapons from uh, 20 years ago in the Iran-Iraq war. So uh, this is an interesting um, development, and um, a spokesman for Mr. Hoekstra, James D. Ware, said that he could not discuss the activities alleged, allegedly withheld from Congress, but he said that uh, Mr. Hoekstra remained adamant that no intelligence programs could be hidden from oversight committees. And these um, concerns that Hoekstra are raising are basically things that have yet to be revealed to the public. Uh, And this is fascinating. Uh, Hoekstra, of course, is probably at some level trying to distance himself from the president uh, in his upcoming re-election campaign. He's called a moderate uh, and probably compared to the rest of the uh, House of Representatives and being from the state of Michigan, he probably is a moderate (laughs) compared to them. But it'll be interesting to see uh, how this all plays out over time well of course i wasn't here last week and was out of range and unable to listen to the program i'm not sure if you gave out brain damage awards to vacationer rush limbaugh for his uh, viagra incident oh, yeah. uh, on uh, certified medications well i didn't I, I didn't give him a brain damage last week but he certainly deserved one well, I guess it's good to see that Rush Limbaugh is supporting sex, tour- sex tourism in the Americas rather than going all the way to uh, Thailand or whatever. Uh, God only knows, and I wouldn't speculate at the dinner hour what he might have been doing with uh, Viagra that didn't have his name on it on his way uh, back from the Dominican Republic. But uh, given that it's Rush, I'll pretty much assume that it's the worst. But he seems to have an interesting uh, tendency to uh, be engaged in pill-popping uh, pills that... Uh apparently are not in his name, that other people obtain for him. Right. Um, any dirty rumors that Rush Limbaugh is, has a prescription for Viagra might be uh, incredibly embarrassing uh, because he's such a tough, masculine guy right. on the radio. Well, uh, in, since he's also uh, in the uh, hardcore Republican tough-on-crime stance, uh, that three strikes and you're out, uh, Nell is just around the corner for old Rush, so... Uh, we'll see how that all plays out for him. I think he should get off the drugs and go back to being the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> the Pillsbury fascist bully boy, more like. Uh, I, I'm afraid I have to give Barack Obama a brain damage award for coming to the defense of uh, Senator Joe Lieberman, who, under uh, pressure from the left, uh, you kind of love it, a multi-millionaire businessman, uh, from the left, how left that is, of course, uh, is debatable. But let's face it, Joe Lieberman is Democrat in name only. He's been in the pocket of George W. Bush for pretty much the entirety of the war. I think that uh, Lieberman was a major, major uh, 
obstacle to Gore uh, and his bid, his failed bid to win the presidency. Um, the fact that uh, so many Democrats are rushing to his defense and uh, throwing out this argument that we have to stick together, we have to be unified, is really the wrong approach. Now, clearly the main priority should be given to gaining as many seats as possible, um, not necessarily to bring about an immediate end to the war, because let's face it, that's not going to be possible to no. immediately withdraw, uh, no matter what your interpretation of events there is. However, I think very uh, strongly uh, feel that on the Democratic agenda should be uh, trying to make it possible to begin impeachment proceedings. And towards that end, of course, yeah, you need as many Democratic seats as possible. So for those Democrats who are urging that uh, an immediate withdrawal from the war should be the primary focus, I would disagree and say, well, let's let's <laughs> – worry about things here at home in this illegal administration first yes getting out of iraq is very clearly desirable and it should happen sooner rather than later but uh there's no going to there's not going to be an immediate withdrawal uh it's just not in the cards. Yeah, well, unfortunately, it probably won't happen until after 2009 because Bush has already At stated. At the earliest. Yeah, he's already stated that that's going to be, quote, up to my successor. And uh, Lieberman's problem is that he's obviously being challenged specifically on the war and so-called national security issues. Lieberman, I think, has a legitimate argument that on other issues he does vote generally with the Democratic Party. However, Lieberman was part of the Gang of 14 that reached this uh, filibuster agreement that essentially was a cave into the Republicans. Right. So Lieberman uh, is a oddball within the Democratic Senate at the moment uh, because he seems to go out of his way to continue to support the war uh, when it's quite obvious that the war is uh, a fiasco for America and continuing to stay is only making things worse. Uh, you know, one famous Vermont senator once said that what we need to do is declare victory and withdraw. This was in reference to Vietnam. And this, of course, is part of the problem uh, that we've talked about. As the stakes go up, our commitment seems to go up, and the perception that the Bush administration is still trying to continue to peddle to the public is that we can't afford to withdraw now because any sign of withdrawing would be a victory for al-Qaeda and Islamic terrorism. And it strikes me that Stain is, uh, is a victory for Indeed. Islamic terrorism. And this is the whole problem. Now we have this Nixon, Nixonian concept of, quote, peace with honor. Um, but there will be no peace in Iraq uh, until the United States leaves. Uh, and even then, that's a dubious proposition. Well, and as is any prospect of honor. And, of course, there will be, there never will be any honor in this uh, misguided uh, fiasco that uh, Bush and Cheney have uh, perpetrated on the public. I only think that the, our only hope is that Bush will be impeached, Rumsfeld ch uh, tortured, and uh, Cheney hung. And if those three things happen, which, of course, won't happen, but if they do. <laughs> well, Groucho Marx once famously observed in 1973 that the country's best hope was the assassination of Richard M. Nixon. Yeah. How he got away with saying that, only Groucho could have. Well, he was he was investigated by J. Edgar Hoover, who probably no saw the name Marx and probably thought he was a long-lost relative of Karl Marx. 
because, uh, uh, alas, at the end of the day, J. Uh, Edgar Hoover was a humorless man. Now, and Groucho was maybe one of our greatest political thinkers. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, certainly, he was a better rhetorician. Uh, Bush uh, speaking as ever to uh, captive uniformed audiences. That's really when he speaks. Uh, and this is, let's see, uh, well, on Independence Day, of course, uh, speaking to, I'm not sure exactly where this was, oh, Fort Bragg. Uh, this is the quote from uh, the president. We live in liberty because of the courage. Oh, excuse me. I'm going to start back here. Uh, here's the quote. I'm not going to allow the sacrifice of 2,527 troops who have died in Iraq to be in vain by pulling out before the job is done. Okay, pause for brief contemplation of that before we savor this next nugget. We live in liberty because of the courage they displayed from Bunker Hill to Baghdad, from Concord to Kabul. Well, at least he has alliteration down. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the uh, falsely, uh, alliteratively assuring aspect that made Pat Buchanan's speech writing for Agnew so uh, winning. Uh, but what a ridiculous assertion from Bunker Hill to Baghdad. Uh, those struggles, those conflicts uh, have almost nothing to do with each other. No, they don't. And in fact, uh, if anything, it's a lesson for why we never should have gone in to Baghdad. Uh, the British, of course, had trouble in the war of uh, of trying to, uh, you know, those pesky colonial yeah, insurgents placate the insurgents, the the colonialists, um, because of terrain, because if they didn't know the the territory didn't uh, know the customs anymore, and of course the Redcoats struck out like a sore thumb with their, uh, they're just, uh, well, they're strange uniforms to say the least. Well, something of a uh, fashion equivalent of a Hummer. <laughs> they stuck out like out. <laughs> a sore thumb. And uh, yeah, the Sitting sectarian clock. violence is just an endless problem. And then of course there's this been this barrage lately of these... Uh, can only be called war crimes, and it's very troubling. Uh, just this past week, uh, John Kiffner uh, in, uh, I think, Friday's New York Times reports about a very troubling development regarding our military um, in Iraq. The Basically, the story, and this uh, comes from the Southern Poverty Law Center, which tracks racist and right-wing groups, has found that, quote, we've got Aryan Nations graffiti in Baghdad, the group quoted a Department of Defense investigator, uh, and apparently uh, neo-Nazi groups are using the military to recruit, and because the American military is having trouble recruiting in general, uh, they are allowing many of these people, these extremists, that in interestingly, by the way, resulted by an analysis of the Defense Department after the Timothy McVeigh mm -hmm. uh, bombing in 95 here in America, who, of course, uh, was influenced uh, by the so-called Turner Diaries uh, by William Pierce, who um, was in a neo-Nazi group called the National Alliance. <coughs> the uh, <coughs> military attempted to purge these types of people from ever being allowed in the army, but apparently um, they're being allowed in anyway. Um, this is what this is interesting. It says the, the defense secretary at the time, uh, res uh, in response to the 1996 
Pentagon program, said that the rules were meant to leave no room for racist and extremist activities within the military. But the report said Mr. Barfield, who was based in Fort Lewis, Washington, had said that he had provided evidence on 320 extremists there, and this is one base here in the United States, in the past year, but that only two had been discharged. He also said that there was an online network of neo-Nazis. Quote, they're communicating with each other about weapons, about recruiting, about keeping their identity secret, about organizing within the military. Several of these individuals have since been deployed to combat missions in Iraq. Well, it's pretty scary. That's scary, and it underscores, and by the way, this uh, Barfield uh, gentleman is, is part of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Very, very troubling development. Well, a normal, emotionally stable individual, when faced with the kind of shock and trauma that combat you know is obviously going to provide to one's system is going to be put in situations where they might snap they might shoot civilians uh, just out of sheer reflex uh, for the survival uh mo- you know mo- yeah they might pull a zidane <laughs> right and for no good reason uh <laughs> headbutting yeah, headbutting <laughs> but uh that's bad enough. And, you know, the extended tours of duty and the extreme difficulties of the, the, the combat in these situations, urban combat, uh, normally emotionally stable people are going to be uh, snapping. Uh, when you've got people who are already predisposed to glorify violence and to uh, look at war as an exercise in pure hate, well, then you've got real, real problems uh, that are certainly going to cause nobody any good yeah and it's interesting the pentagon's own own studies by the way on the stress of combat um demonstrate conclusively that as their own studies show 98 percent of military people show signs of strain after a prolonged period i.e six months of sustained military combat this of course is why uh, Vietnam was such a problem um, because the United States, you know, the famous movie Hamburger Hill, they needed a hamburger grinding machine to keep bringing in fresh recruits to deal with the sustained stress of combat situations. Normal people are not capable of uh, performing uh, in these situations. And the 2% that don't show stress as the military's own studies show, are already psychopaths, um, which gives you an indication of why, unfortunately, in a uh, occupation situation or a sustained um, perception of war at uh, 24 hours, 24 hours a day, which is really essentially what Iraq, American Iraqi troops are confronted with. Mm-hmm. There are these IEDs all over the place. There's urban warfare, there are snipers hidden in uh, alleys, etc. You don't know the language. Don't know the language, and we're in the middle of, let's face it, low-level, sustained sectarian violence at this point. Is it an all-out civil war? No, but it's in the incipient stages of such a thing, and these militia groups, as we've detailed, uh, in, in past shows, and uh, terrorist experts have pointed out, in Iraq, there are more than 17 of these groups. So getting Zarqawi, 
uh, is not going to end our problems. No, in it's, Iraq. I- it's ironic that uh, an earlier argument for you know maintaining troop levels where they were in Iraq was to prevent a civil war. Um, now, of course, um, it's to keep it at the low level. So uh, there's some sort of minor acknowledgement at any rate that uh, that's the closest they're going to get to acknowledging the incipient nature of the civil war. Speaking of the uh, incipient nature of war, uh, basically Israel's at war in the Gaza Strip. Yeah, they just deserve a brain damage award for their totally disproportionate um, policy, I guess if you want to call it that, um, for what they've been doing the last several weeks. I mean, this is causing just tremendous um, embarrassment internationally uh, for what they're doing. Um, I don't know if this soldier is maybe the second reincarnation of uh, Jesus Christ, but Israel seems to be awfully uh, intent on getting his well, his return, but I mean, at this point, I don't even think that's part of it. I think at this point, it's just a policy and a, an, it's excuse an excuse exactly, to, to go, go back, back into Gaza. Go back into Gaza, and you know, you've got shades of the Warsaw Ghetto all over again, the collective punishment, you've got thousands and thousands of people. Let's, let's face it, the Gaza Strip is the world's most crowded per square foot, the world's most densely inhabited piece of real estate. It's essentially a large ghetto. And, Uh, of course, attacking the power station is uh, technically under the Geneva Accords a war crime. And this has actually been pointed out by high-ranking people at the United Nations. So this policy isn't doing Israel any good. It never has, but uh, Omar is, is trying to portray this as part of a uh, long-term strategy of creating the two-state solution. Well, this is illusory. Uh, the fighting will just continue. And, of course, the, the situation underscores um, the harebrained notion of t- attempting to continue the occupation, uh, right. which is why America's policy in Iraq um, long-term is ultimately doomed. Well, and if America isn't willing to put the reins on Israel's exaggerated responses, I mean, the rockets that were fired uh, killed no one. Obviously, they're an annoyance. Obviously, it's a security issue. Uh, But the number of Palestinian civilians dead since this incursion has begun is, uh, you know, double digits. Um, So if the United States is unwilling to uh, get involved and pull back the hand of its proxy, well, then... the United Nations should get involved, but clearly that will never happen uh, for obvious veto reasons, but uh, it's that sort of a situation. Well, and another thing that's very troubling about it is the issue of accountability. Um, the kidnapping operation of this particular soldier is obviously a small-scale renegade operation. The notion that Hamas controls this group is ludicrous. This is exactly like arguing that the United States' military is, 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 should be held accountable collectively for the crimes that these individuals recently have been charged with by right. the U.S. military. Um, there's always going to be bad apples uh, in any organization, <laughs> military or otherwise. And this notion that Hamas, broadly speaking, uh, can control the actions of a few, uh, quote, guerrilla fighters is ludicrous. And it's my understanding that Israel has actually kidnapped many, well, several uh, Hamas leaders. Yeah, elected representatives. And are holding them uh, in custody. Whether this is ultimately part of a negotiated um, deal 
Who it's knows? A, it's a new approach to democracy. <laughs> when the when the results don't go the way you want, you just invade and arrest. Who knows? And of course, the United States is is silent, and the silence is deafening, and it is just a further uh, proof positive, if if we ever needed it, that that this is at the heart of many of America's terrorism problems. Well, what was her name? The former Uncle Ben's rice advertising wizard who was sent by George Bush to put a happy face on American policies in the Middle East. Oh, Margaret Karen, Karen Smith, Karen Hughes, Karen Hughes. Uh, <laughs> Any little thing that she might have done in that capacity, the silence on this, you know, recent Israeli uh, episode destroys it all. Yeah, and the United States is, is, I mean, what does it say? Its spokesmen say, we are urging restraint. But what are they doing to pressure Israel into showing restraint? Nothing. This gets back to the arguments that were made by the professors uh, in the the, uh, Israel lobby about the... A disproportionate effect that the uh, APAC and the, quote, Israel lobby, generally speaking, has on American policy in the Middle East. And while some of their arguments ignore uh, the influence of Saudis, uh, Saudi policy in the Middle East relative to what America does, this is just yet one more example of America's inability to see the situation clearly there uh, and what needs to be done. Just saying, show restraint is not adequate <laughs> um, because there's almost no restraint being shown. Indeed. Well, uh, we're just about at a time, unless uh, Yazoo City Calling will be getting started late. That remains to be seen. Uh, we, it looks like we have a little time yet. Um, here's an interesting article from the uh, July 5th uh, Financial Times. Uh Afghanistan is set to produce its largest ever opium crop, with the biggest rise in Helmand province in the south, where the British troops are engaged in combat with the Taliban. This in spite of a $1 billion campaign to eradicate the crop. Um, Clearly, this is embarrassing for British forces. um, But basically, the failure of Western policymakers to deal with the complete absence of cash crops for Afghan farmers forces them into the hands of the political instability that that country has been eternally plagued with. And it it just underscores how inadequate America's ultimate response in Afghanistan has been. It just doesn't have enough troops on the ground. It doesn't know what it's doing there. It'd be cheaper to just buy all of the opium. Yeah, I mean, where's the $1 billion going? What's the (laughs) eradication of what? Um, Who knows? Buy it all, destroy some of it, use the rest for pharmaceutical purposes. That would be a lot more uh, effective. Or get Rush Limbaugh on the case. He seems to have an <laughs> opium problem, Oxycontin and all that. Well, uh, we're out of time. Uh, we would like to thank Chaz for engineering this evening. Do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling is coming up next right here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Proud so long, my 